We're starting a new series today in Psalm 119, but we will not get to Psalm 119 until next week. Uh, what we're going to do this week is start in Psalm 1 so that we can understand all the Psalms and where Psalm 119 fits, okay? This week on our Exodus blog, I, I told the story about one of my favorite presents to ever receive. I opened this present um, and I looked at it and I said, that's way too much. And that's all I could think to say because it was true. My girlfriend, now wife, and her family had surprised me with this present for my birthday, uh, a Mel Blanc lithograph that still hangs in my office. You can come by and see it sometime this week. Um, and I was so overwhelmed because I loved this gift. Now, it wasn't priceless, but it was pricey, particularly when I was in college, and I had wanted one for a long time. And so when I unwrapped that present that October, I remember just being overwhelmed with gratitude and just so happy to have been given such a remarkable gift. Now, whether your gift is similar or not, I hope that you have a similar experience. This reminder, this memory of a time where you got this present that just overwhelmed you with gratitude, where you, you were so, so overwhelmed with gratitude for this gift that you had been given. And that feeling you remember is the feeling that Psalms want to generate in our hearts about God's word. That joy, that gratitude, that thankfulness, that anticipation is what the Psalms want to generate in our hearts about God's word. And so the Psalms tell us that God's word is of great value. It's of great value. It's a treasure. And the Psalms speak of God's word as something that's great, of great usefulness. Typically, you have to pick one or the other. It's either really valuable or really useful. It's either something you really want or it sucks, right? God's word is really valuable and it's really useful. And so that's where we're going over the next two months in Psalm 119. That God's word is a priceless gift and we find great joy in our humble obedience to it. Now, for some of you, you might have never read God's word intentionally before. My hope through this series is that you would, that you would love and engage God's word at a real intentional level. Now, for some of you, you have no category for seeing God's word as a gift to be desired. You see God's word as a list of rules keeping you from what you really desire rather than signposts getting you to what will really bring you joy. And my hope for all of us in this series is that we would see God's word as a priceless gift and that we would find great joy in our humble obedience to it. So I'm gonna read Psalm 1, we're gonna pray and we're gonna jump into our series on Psalm 119. Blessed is the one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like shaft that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that as we study your word, uh, about your word this summer, I pray that you would 
give our hearts open and openness to it. And that we would see your word as beautiful, this gloriously good thing to be desired, and that we would see it as useful, this incredibly helpful guide getting us to what really gives us joy. And Father, I pray that where our hearts kick against those two things, that you would transform us by your spirit so that we really do love your word. And we really do long to see more and more of you in it. So Holy Spirit, would you work in us today so that we would see wonderful things from your word. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen. I love starting a new series because I, I kind of enjoy some of the background stuff. So I want us to talk just about the Psalms in general for a moment. Then we're going to talk about Psalm 119 in particular. Then we're going to look at Psalm 1. So first, the Psalms. Uh, the Psalms is a collection of 150 Psalms. They're divided into five books. So if you're looking at your uh, Bible, uh, above Psalm 1, you see book 1. There's five books in the Psalms. They deal with all kinds of emotion, angst, struggle, all of it in our relationship to God, which if you're dealing with angst and emotion and struggle, you will find a good friend in the Psalms. It's in the middle of our Bibles, again, so if you just open your Bible in the middle, you're going to get really close to it. Now, Psalms doesn't have chapters, okay? I have a long list of pet peeves. I'm a real fun person to be around. Um, you don't go to Psalm chapter 19. You go to Psalm 19, okay? That's just the way the Psalms are put together. Now, several uh, Psalms were written, were written by several different people. Uh, David wrote the most, uh, around 73. Uh, 49 of them are anonymous, not attributed to any author. Asaph wrote 12. Sons of Korah wrote 11. Um, the Psalms are poems and songs, and so we need to read them not like Old Testament narrative or the letters of Paul. We need to read them like poems. And they're written to create pictures in our minds that fuel our hearts. And so when we read them, we need to read them like poetry. Now, Hebrew poetry doesn't rhyme words, which is helpful because most of us don't know Hebrew. And when you're reading Hebrew, the English words don't line up with rhymes and so Hebrew poetry rhymes ideas. So very often you'll see two lines in a Hebrew in a in a psalm in a verse of a psalm, and those lines uh, complement one another. They're rhyming ideas in the psalm. There are also songs. Peter, Paul, Jesus would have sung these in their worship. Finally, they're instructive prayers. They really are prayers. Like when you're reading these, and particularly the ones that are attributed to a person, you're, it's like you're reading their journal, but, but their journal that they wanted you to see. You're, you're reading prayers that are coming from a real place and a real person. And then they're put together to teach us, to be instructive, so that we can know more about God and his word. Now, let's talk about Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is the longest psalm in the Bible, it's got 176 verses. It's divided into 22 sections, each of them corresponding to a Hebrew alphabet letter. Each line of that given section begins with that letter, that Hebrew letter, and it was written this way to be memorized. So Psalm 119, the longest psalm, the longest chapter, if you will, in the Bible, is written to be memorized. 
And so um, our Exodus music team has produced an amazing resource. Okay, it's going to be on the screen. Some information about that will be up there. An amazing resource to help us learn Psalm 119. It's going to be in three volumes. So this year, we're going to deal with eight sections of Psalm 119. And this project has eight tracks on it to help us learn God's word. It's the, uh, it's the ESV Bible set to music. It's available for free on Noise Trade today. It's available for all the, at all those other stores, uh, Google Play, iTunes, Amazon Music, uh, all those other places for you to download today. Next week, we'll have hard copies if you'd like to have CDs. And our hope is that this would really encourage us to learn and love God's word. And so download it and listen to it. Man, it's, the tracks are beautiful, and I think they'll encourage you. So Psalm 119, longest psalm meant to be memorized. I hope that that resource helps you in that. Now, a lot's been said about the longest psalm. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said this, it's like a little Bible, the scripture's condensed. It's like the whole scripture which it praises. It's a pearl island or better still, a garden of sweet flowers. And I love that picture. That God's, that Psalm 119 is like this garden of sweet flowers. My favorite story about Psalm 119 is told of, a, of, of the Bishop of Edinburgh in the 17th century. He was waiting on a pardon to keep him from being executed. He was about to die a martyr's death and he would have been executed, but when he was on the platform about to die, there's a custom that he appealed to where you could have a psalm sung before you were executed. And he chose Psalm 119. And two-thirds, this is what history tells us, two-thirds of the way through the song, his pardon arrived and his life was spared. So see, God's word is really useful, okay? It's really useful. And if we're gonna understand Psalm 119, we need to understand it in the context of the Psalms, and Psalm 1 helps us do that. And Psalm 1 holds out uh, three things we're gonna see today. It holds out two paths, holds out two delights, and two ends. Two paths, two delights, and two ends. First, we see these two paths, and you see them here in... um, in Psalm 1, you see the path of the blessed one and the path of the wicked. Now, that word blessed means happy. It means favored. In this context, it means happy in God and favored by God. This blessed one has found that God is his source and only source of joy and life and peace. He's not running to other places to find it. He's, he's planting himself firmly in God for his joy. So the blessed man is happy. The blessed one is also favored. And that is incredibly important that we remember this. The blessed man in the Psalms is not an earned status. The status of blessed is a status that's granted by grace. The blessed one's not favored because he's morally superior. We know this from among many reasons from the psalm that Tyler uh, preached last week. Psalm 32, it says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. That psalm is unnecessary if the blessed one is morally superior. But the blessed one is not morally superior. The blessed one is forgiven by God's favor. 
Other Psalms speak of our sin and the wickedness of our heart. The blessed one is not morally superior, but the one who has trusted in the faithfulness of God and his word. The blessed one is favored, but the blessed one is not favored with whatever he wants. Being the blessed one of Psalm 1 doesn't mean you can go to God and say, God, I want this. It means we get God, not whatever we tell God to give us. And so the blessed one is favored. The blessed one doesn't order God around. The blessed one submits to what God says in his word. The other path that Psalm 1 holds out is the wicked one. And the wicked is contrasted with the blessed one. Uh, The blessed one is submitting to God and his word. The wicked one is trying to find life apart from God and his word. And in the Psalms, the wicked one can look religious and squeaky clean, and and the wicked one can look rebellious and dangerous and scary. Both are finding their life or seeking to find their life in a place other than God and his word. And there are times when the wicked seem that they're prospering and and fruitful, like in Psalm 73. But their way leads to destruction. So the wicked one is not the morally inferior one. Rather, the wicked one is not in right relationship to the God of the Bible. Now, it's really important that we understand and remember that the wicked in Psalms is all of us apart from Jesus. Every one of us every one of us in this room, apart from the grace, favor of God through Jesus Christ are wicked. Ephesians 2 tells us that our our hearts are born dead in transgressions and sins and that we run after that with all of our will and attitude and nature. We're running after wickedness. But Ephesians 2, 4 says, but God who is rich in mercy with his great love with which he loved us made us alive together with Christ. And so all of us, apart from Jesus, are wicked. And yet, in Christ, we have been made happy in God through Jesus Christ. And it's available to any of us who repent of of running from God and return to God. We can find this happiness, joy, favor that the blessed man finds in Psalm 1. And so the psalm holds out two paths We can be blessed by rejoicing in God's grace or we can live wicked lives refusing God and his grace. And then he holds out two delights here in Psalm 1. He says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. And so the psalmist holds out these two delights. The blessed man delights in God And his word, it says that in verse two, his delight is in the law of the Lord. Now, Lord, there is all caps. That's God's covenant-keeping name. It's the name that God gave Moses in Exodus 3. It's the name that says, I keep my covenant with my people. And this word law is a word Torah, which means teaching from the covenant-keeping God. It includes how God's people come into God's favor It includes how God's people experience his blessing. The problem for us is when we hear law, we hear rules. When we hear law, we hear duty. We hear law rather than love and blessing. But God's covenant teaching is meant to produce a field we can play in, not a fence we kick against. 
Psalm 1 tells us that the blessed one delights in this covenant teaching. Now, um, let's turn over to Psalm 19. See a little bit more about this law of the Lord. In Psalm 19, we see two types of declaration from God. Verses one through six talks about what theologians call general revelation. It's the revelation of God we see in the creation. And he says in verse one, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. So what the psalmist is saying is that the creation of God, specifically the heavens and the sky, declare the glory of God. And so when you're out on a clear night and you see stars and and just beauty there, when you're able to be up early in the morning and you're seeing a sunrise and the sun just peak above the horizon and you're seeing color fill the sky or on those beautiful days where the sunset just looks like a painting. You're seeing the beauty of the glory of God and his creation. And yet the purpose of Psalm 19 is to say that God's law, God's Torah, God's covenant teaching is even more beautiful. Look at verse seven. The law of the Lord is perfect. That means complete, reviving the soul. Now, now when we think of rules, we don't think about our souls being revived. But that's what, when he says law, he's talking about covenant teaching. And it's complete, it revives our soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous all together. The psalmist wants us to see that God's word is glorious. It's beautiful. It's to be treasured. It's to be believed. It's to be valued. And then in verses 10 and 11, He draws all that together, verse 10. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter than honey and drippings from the honeycomb. So the psalmist wants us to see that God's word is better than all the money we could ever hope for and sweeter than the sweetest thing we could ever put in our mouth. And then he says they're helpful, verse 11. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. So the psalmist wants us to understand that God's word is given for our good, that it's glorious and valuable and worth so much more than anything we could ask for and sweeter than anything we could ever taste. And that God's word is useful. It warns us, it reminds us, it guards us. And back in Psalm 1, the blessed man delights in the Torah of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Remember, poetry rhymes ideas. So delighting is meditating. You know know that moment in your life where you just get something stuck in your mind and you can't get it out? Or you've got this thing you're hoping for and excited about, like maybe a vacation or a trip or just being somewhere else? You just get that spinning around in your mind. You're just meditating on that. 
That's delighting. And the psalmist says we are to delight in God's word like that. So there's two delights. There's the delight of the blessed one who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on it day and night. And then there's the, the wicked that delight in the word of the world. The blessed man who, in verse one, does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, does not stand in the seat of sinners, in the way of sinners, or seat in the, sit in the seat of scoffers. The wicked does those things and listens and hears all the counsel coming from those places. The wicked hears all those messages, all of that word coming in and delights in that. I was reading about advertising this week and one one writer said this, in the 1970s, we saw about 500 ads a day. Today, we see more than 5,000 ads in a day. 5,000. And it's just always in our face. I mean, you know the moment where you've looked for something on Amazon and then you're Googling something and there it is. Okay, that was creepy. We, we have all these messages coming into us from the world. In advertising, in music, in media, in things we're watching and experiencing. And this is not the moment where we burn CDs. Most of us don't have those anymore. This is not the moment where we cancel our accounts, throw out our televisions, and just decide we're never going to listen to anything. The question is not, am I watching Netflix? The question is, am I delighting in God's word? Because it's really easy to just create a rule and not do that and not even really deal with your heart. The blessed man delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on it day and night. And so Psalm 1 holds out two paths and then two delights, and then it shows us two ends. Look at verse three. The blessed man is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its, and its, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. The writer is contrasting these two types of people. The blessed one is rooted and planted by streams of water. He's like a tree. Not just a stream, interestingly, but streams. It's like this is a tree surrounded by water. And it yields its fruit and its season and its leaf doesn't wither. And in all that he does, he prospers. A few years ago, we had a drought in this area, no rain. And, you know, is that one of those kind of droughts where you're walking in your yard and it's crunchy? You know, you guys might remember that. About that same time, I was flying into Charlotte and I looked out and you had in all this brown, you had these lines of green. And you could see in the midst of all this drought, you could see these little places where trees were alive and full of life. And every one of those was a stream. Every one of those was next to water. Now, it's really important that we see here that that life and vigor and fruitfulness in that tree didn't come from the tree. It came from the water that the tree was planted next to. And so the psalmist holds out for us this picture of a blessed man, a blessed person, and that blessed person has an end and it's fruitfulness. It's a life of fruitfulness. The wicked are not so, he says. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. 
So this wicked person who's not planted by the word of God, this wicked person who's not submitting to God and his word, this wicked person who said to God, I don't need you, I'm gonna go find life somewhere else, is withering. He has no joy. there, There might be moments of joy, there might be an appearance of joy, but God's word says he's like chaff that just withers and is blown away. And so there's no joy for the wicked person in this life. And there's no hope for the wicked person in the next. Look at verse five. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the wicked. We don't like to think about this today because of our culture and our sensitivities and some other things. We don't like to think about the reality that there is a judgment coming. That every one of us will stand before a holy God that we have offended, that we have rejected, that we have sinned against. Every one of us will stand before him. And in that moment, we will either stand with Jesus as our advocate or we will stand alone. And Psalm 1 tells us the wicked will not be able to stand in the judgment. There's a judgment coming. And there's a way for you to hide from the judgment of God in the Son of God. And all who repent of sin and submit themselves to God and his word, who who submit themselves to the grace of God through the Son of God, will be saved. And so you don't have to live a life that's just blown about by like chaff. It just crumbles and is blown away. You can live a life that's rooted and planted by the stream of God's word that creates this fulfillment and joy and hope in this life and hope in the judgment in the next. And Psalm 1 holds out these two ends. Either we will be the blessed one living in the favor and grace of God, not because we've earned it, but because God has been gracious, or we will be the wicked one who has rebelled against all things related to God and his word and has chosen to live a life apart from him. And he will crumble and not be able to stand. And so I have one question for us as we wrap up uh, our sermon this morning, and that's this. What is your delight? What's your delight? In Psalm 1, the blessed man delights in the law of the Lord. He delights in the covenant teaching of the covenant-keeping God. And on that teaching, he meditates day and night. He's thinking about it all the time. He's spinning it around in his mind. He's meditating, contemplating, chewing on the covenant teaching of the covenant-keeping God. What are, you, what are you chewing on? What's your mental chewing gum? What are you thinking about? What are you delighting in? There's so many, so many messages coming at us. There's these internal messages that we have. Some of us have these internal messages from our story. We, we just remember things that were really hurtful from long ago and they get, get stuck in our hearts and just get on, uh, on play and on, on repeat all the time. 
you're not valuable, you're never, you'll never make it, you're never gonna be anything, you've got to prove yourself, you've got to, it's all on you, you've got these stories that just kind of play on repeat. And sometimes we have these stories from how we're made, we're just put together for things and we run after them apart from God and his word. Then we have these external messages all around us. All these external messages coming in. And if we're not careful, we will sit in this vat of misery, playing over our internal messages while listening to the external messages. And it just creates this ongoing despair. Psalm 1 offers us something glorious to delight in. It offers us the law of the Lord. It offers us the covenant teaching of the covenant-keeping God. And this is, not, this is not God offering us kale, even if you love kale. This isn't God offering us broccoli or Brussels sprouts, and I love both of those, surprisingly enough. This is God offering you something that is to be desired more than honey. Like whatever, whatever that sweet thing is that you love, whether it's a brownie or a cheesecake, whatever it is, God's word is better, sweeter. And so we don't have to, we don't have to sit in this vat of misery that only leads to us withering and falling away. We get to delight in the word of God and meditate on it day and night. What if, what if we really did delight in the law of the Lord? What if we really did delight in his word? What if we really did believe this truth that we are blessed by God, not because we earned it, but because of his favor? What if we really believed that we were the blessed one, not because we leveled up and achieved, but because we received grace upon grace? What if we really believed that and lived into that story? What if we delighted in this beautiful story we've brought in, been brought into? that though we have rejected this God who created us, he loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus to live, die, and rise again so that we could repent of following after false things and return to him and him alone. What if we really lived into that? What if we, what if we delighted in that message and meditated on it day and night? Serve wrath, I get love, I deserved rejection, I got adoption. What if we lived into that every day and meditated on that day and night? Instead of wondering how many likes and clicks and plus ones we got in our life from other people, what if we meditated on God and his word? Can you imagine how fruitful our lives would be? if we planted the tree of our life directly in the stream of his word and gospel. Psalm 1 says we would be like a tree 
planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season, and its leaf would not wither. And in all that he does, he prospers. What if we delighted in that today? Our hope for this series in Psalm 119 is that we would delight in the covenant teaching of the covenant-keeping God. That we would see God's word as gloriously valuable, a treasure, and that we would see God's word as incredibly useful. And that God's word is a gift to us and we find great joy in humbly obeying.